0: Lately we have been introducing you to all the amazing products Ascent Nutrition has to offer. This week I'm very excited to tell you about their Full Spectrum Hemp Oil. Ascent Nutrition's Full Spectrum Hemp Oil utilizes superior plant genetics and an organic proprietary blend of natural ingredients. Their hemp oil contains not only an abundance of CBD but 119 other phytocannabinoids found within the spectrum of the hemp plant. According to the National Center of Biotechnology Information, this strain is the gold standard in hemp genome sequencing. Ascent also uses a unique method that ensures infusion of significantly more phytocannabinoids and CBD than all other competitors they tested against including most of the leading CBD companies. I challenge everyone in the audience that uses CBD, as well as those of you who may have tried other CBD options and didn't get any results, to try Ascent Nutrition's Full Spectrum Hemp Oil, which is guaranteed to be much stronger and contains more phytonutrients than any others on the market. Just click the link in the description Or visit GoAscentNutrition.com and use coupon code FKN to get 10% off your entire purchase. Back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host Chris Matthew. Today my guest is Anna Maria Manalo. First I have a couple of announcements. If you have a business and you want to advertise with Forbidden Knowledge News, email me, news at gmail.com. We have unbeatable pricing and ad packages and we reach a huge audience. So come check us out. Our website is forbiddenknowledge.news, also the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. You find amazing podcasts from our community there. Forbidden Knowledge News is always available on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, and all podcast platforms. Rockfin is where you get our premium content. You also get all the premium content from every creator on Rockfin. You can also create a free account and get access to tons of free content, including all our regular shows. Go to rockfin.com slash FKN Plus to sign up or click the link in the description. The Forbidden Documentary is going to be extremely difficult with the price of gas and everything else right now. We can't do this without your help. Production is already being pushed back. If you would like to help, you can go to supportfkn.com or use the PayPal link in the description. Anything is greatly appreciated. Finally, check out our friends at C60 Purple Power c60 may be the most powerful antioxidant known to man benefits have been personally incredible i feel amazing my pets feel amazing yes you can get c60 for your pets go check out all the benefits c60 has to offer just click the link in the description and you get 10 percent off your order plus free shipping Today I want to welcome Anna Maria Manalo. She is a therapist, screenwriter, and travel photographer, as well as a creative nonfiction author of supernatural suspense novels and anthologies. She has amassed paranormal encounters from all over the globe as an artist and traveler. Her cinematic storytelling style and characters based on real individuals brings books that fully immerse the reader in the experience of the phenomenon as she takes them into terrifying landscapes. Anna, welcome. How you doing? Pretty
1: good. How are you, Chris?
0: I'm excellent. It is great to have you on. Your book, Haunted Heirlooms, was excellent. The storytelling is incredible. It was one of those where you kind of get nervous in your own home, go and get a midnight snack after reading a little bit of it. (laughs) It also makes you think about what you're buying at a thrift store or antique stores or really anything secondhand. Now, this is your first time on. Uh, I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and what led you to write about the paranormal and high strangeness topics.
1: Okay. Well, Chris, I'll try to begin from the very beginning. Uh, I'll have to say this all started as far as um, antiquing. And, you know, when I started antiquing, what I mean is going to swap meets, as they call it in California, or flea markets, as they call it here in the East Coast. So I like bargains. Um, You know, I ended up going to a lot of flea markets Uh, checking out different places all the way up to Maine and as low as uh, New York and uh, went down New Jersey and at the time I lived in Connecticut, uh, which is my home state. So um, just to give you a little bit of background, um, I um, essentially was from the Philippines and then when I turned 13, uh, my mother and I moved to the United States and we ended up in Connecticut because I had some family over there. Uh, and so I, you know, I have a lot of New England roots as far as like the history.
0: What happened? Oh, there you are. Now you're okay.
1: back. <laughs> oh my I'm God. Guy, but
0: you're back now.
1: Oh, all right. Do you want me to start from the top?
0: Uh, just uh, tell us uh, where you you started. You mentioned that you were antiquing, and you can pr- kind of go from there.
1: Oh, okay. So uh, back in the eighties, when I was still in college, I was like looking at bargains, and I went to a lot of flea markets. And a friend of mine had a beetle. Fortunately, we you know back when you were in college, you hardly have any money. Not too many people own cars, and. Uh, Fortunately, I hooked up with some people who did have vehicles. Now, I don't know if you remember the Beetle. used to be vintage. You're probably too young for that, Chris. But back in the day, <laughs> in the 80s.
0: I remember. I'm, I'm probably a little older than you think, but yeah, I remember this.
1: Okay. So this gentleman had a vintage Beetle, uh, and we drove around looking at stuff. And the first experience I had was going to this outdoor flea market, and there was a wing chair there. And it was very beautiful. It was in great condition. And you don't normally come upon a piece of furniture in great condition for this price. As a short of it, I only paid $36, which was a lot of money for me, Uh, you know, because I I was really just like struggling to get by. I was working every weekend at a hospital. Um, And so, like, I wanted furniture for my dorm room. And back in the day, they really didn't furnish much dorm, dorm rooms in college, not like the way they do it today. So I was fortunate to get this and we hauled it, put it on the corner of the room. And that's when all the activity started. And I wasn't really a witness to the initial stuff that was going on. I spent a lot of time in the library the uh, college library was like, unfortunately, on the other end of campus. So you had to take a shuttle bus to get back. Uh, but when I came back, there it was, there was a room advisor there. There was uh, two other women and, well, girls at the time. We were all like 18, 17 years old or 19. And uh, they said to me, you know, you're supposed to sign in your guests when you have guests in the dorm. And I said, I don't recall having a guest, when did this happen? They said that we just saw a lady come out of your room and she was wearing flappers. So, uh you know, back in the 1920s, people, women used to wear these dresses mm-hmm. so that like when they let the dance, it would flap, you know, so they call them flappers, I guess. And she had high heels. She was wearing some kind of a uh, hat or something. And um, that's when I realized there was something going on. So it went from that and it got to the point, it was so bad that whatever this thing was, was walking around the parking lot. Uh, Later on, not in the same week, but this is now over months, when finally I felt like I really had to get rid of it. And I ended up in the middle of a seance, which I'll never ever do again. It was somebody who was like trying to, I guess, see what she could get out of the chair. Mm. And she professed to be a medium. You know, it was just another classmate. And before you know it, she brought out an Ouija board. And I have to say, for the sake of the audience, please don't play with Ouija boards because that is the worst thing. That I don't know what could have happened which i'm not going to spoil the the book right but i will never again play with an ouija board because of what happened during that evening involving the chair now so um, that's how i got started chris i mean it, it went from there i i didn't stop collecting antiques i was just a little bit more like wary i guess uh and then what you have the book that you read is basically based on all the recollections of the people that I dealt with through scores of years going back to their antique shops and getting to know them. That's great.
0: Now, uh, you, earlier before we got started, you mentioned that you used to uh, be a MUFON investigator. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I was. Um, what that's a- You
0: started doing that. Just curious.
1: Uh, okay. so. Way, way back. And this goes back to when I lived in San Juan, about 50, 55 miles outside of Manila in the Philippines. Uh, My childhood home was a neighborhood that was host to a lot of uh, strange sightings. Uh, One of them actually hovered over the roof of my grandmother's house. And because I know you do have a big audience for, uh, you know, people who are into UAPs, as they call them now. Uh, This is an interesting story, not to digress from the book, but this is one that was in my first book, called Mm -hmm. Portal. One evening, my grandmother was settling in for the night. Her bedroom at that time was on the second floor of this house that my grandfather had constructed. And I won't get into all the other hauntings. This one is definitely UAP. This is not anything that has anything to do with ghosts, just to make a separation. She was in the room, the window was open. She guesses it's probably real late because she tends to go to bed late. A number of the grown children were gone, so she essentially was alone in the house. She was preparing for bed, and before you know it, as she's walking up to her bed, there's a light that was right outside the window. So she approached the window, and the window had a very deep casement, so much so that you could actually, like if if you had a stool, you could jump up on it, okay, and lie down right on the windowsill. That's how deep it was. Well, she leaned over and she was straining to see what was over the roof. Now, in certain Philippine homes, the roof juts out further out. And the reason for that is to shade you from the sun because it's a tropical country and they don't want the sun, you know, coming in with the heat. So there she is. She's halfway into the casement and she's looking up, trying to figure out what was over the roof. She said it was so intense, it felt like suddenly daylight came back. And we're talking like quarter 12 at night. So as she was looking, you know, her eyes were starting to hurt. And she realized it was like looking almost like at the sun. So she pulled away. She got very tired. And then she went to bed the next morning. She gets up and she has kind of like a dizziness, a headache. And then the door, uh, there was knocking on the door and it was her oldest daughter. And she said, mom, she said, are you okay? You've been sleeping. Cause she normally gets up really early. She comes over close to the door. And the daughter observed, she's got a sunburn. She said, you know, you've got a really bad sunburn in there. And she said, oh, she says, it hurts a little bit. And my eyes are sensitive. And she said, did you go out gardening? She said, no, I did not. I did not yesterday. To make a long story short, Chris, she ended up going to the doctor. She was dizzy. She ended up with first degree burns. Uh, And, you know, she she basically could not figure out how her eyes got irritated. So it's like the classic signs of radiation.
0: Wow. Man, that is very interesting. I'm going to if we have time, I'm going to have to ask you some uh, E.T. UFO questions at the end. Uh, But let's get to your book. This is uh, this is wonderful. Um, Give the audience a synopsis, you know, without giving away too too much uh, about the book Haunted Heirlooms
1: hmm. Um, Haunted Heirlooms is basically five stories, and it begins with my own personal experience uh, with a wing chair that has an attachment. Uh, when I say attachment, what I mean is there's a spirit or some kind of an entity that seems to be drawn to the object. It's usually whatever it was in life that owned the object. Uh, So that's the first thing that was in the book. The next four stories are from dealers that became friends of mine through the years since I frequent frequented their shops, you know, got to know some of the family members. And I have to say, Chris, that in um, just just to give you an idea, this was a very intense type of research in trying to get permissions because Uh, before that I had written a book that was basically like a haunted supernatural memoir. This one, I had four different stories, including some of their family members. So I had to get permission from all of them. So for those reasons, you will find the story is the way it was told by the person who told it to me. Uh, but I have changed no mention of the shop. Uh, I have changed in some cases the name of the town just to protect them because out of the four, two are still in business to this day. Uh, But these are objects you normally would encounter and not to scare the audience, but uh, these are objects you normally would encounter if you were in an antique shop and you were browsing. Um, Not all antiques are haunted, (laughs) I have to say, so I don't want to scare anybody away who's interested in looking at vintage items and things that are over 100 years old, because there's some really beautiful stuff out there. And I myself personally still collect like fine china and porcelain. Uh, But these are five stories. They're probably about anywhere from 55 to 60 pages apiece. So it's pretty fast reading as well.
0: Are you ready to live a more free, healthy, and abundant life? Transform your yard into a food forest and create a system for self-reliance that's easy and enjoyable with our friends at Food Forest Abundance. No matter where you're starting from, you can become more self-reliant. And you can take your self-reliance to the next level by becoming a producer of your own food through growing and foraging. And learn how to turn your property into an income-producing source of economic self-reliance. They can help you get off-grid and learn what systems to employ for food, water, and energy self-reliance. And live abundantly and in full connection with your property and what you produce. Click the link in the description to get started with your very own food forest and have your own sustainable source of livelihood and become self-sufficient with food forest abundance. Just click the link in the description to get started with your very own food forest today. Yeah, the book was was fantastic. I, like I said, I, I probably read it in a few days, uh, got nervous a few nights while reading it. Uh, now... Before we get into any more about the book, I want to find out what's your thoughts on attachments and Mm -hmm. whether these are – these spiritual attachments were human at some time or can they – or do you think it's something more nefarious or a different type of entity and can any object be – have an attachment, anything that you have around you?
1: I think for the most part – Based on the stories that I have heard, which I've picked the four that I think that are most interesting and probably most severe. Most of the attachments, thank goodness, are human. But that doesn't mean that it, that is always the case. In the first story that I delved into, I was a little appalled when I was being retold what had happened Uh, to the house, what started being just an interesting urn, and this woman traveled across the pond to Europe to pick up this object, pick it out from an antique store, uh, and had it delivered to her house, uh, became something else of a monstrosity, and I mean literally and figuratively, Literally, in the sense that within days of that package arriving at her house, she, she came to the foyer and had someone help her take it to the living room. And it was supposed to be part of a collection of what they call a chinoiserie. They were all blue and white porcelain just to explain to the audience it's a french term for basically anything that's like either a ginger jar or a vase that's in blue and white and they're very beautiful some come with chinese characters some come with um imprints of houses or birds things of that nature um in this case The attachment was both a former human being, a diseased human being, but it also came with what I later will refer to as a guardian. Um, I think I'm trying to recall a movie that I had seen back probably also in the eighties that had something called a guardian. And they're not necessarily human. In this case, it looked like it was a huge animal. And Chris, I don't know if you recall that second story. She couldn't really classify what it was. Um, On the cover of my book, it looks like a cat. I, I don't know that it was like a cat. All I know is it had yellow, glowing eyes. From what she told me and described to me, it had claws, but it wasn't like the claws of a cat or a dog. Whatever creature that came with it manifested itself within a few hours of the box arriving at the house. And it proceeded to claw at the box. So much so that you could hear the box tearing. And the box was very well wrapped because it was a very expensive antique. Uh, And it because it, it, it came across from Europe, they wanted to make sure it didn't break in transit. So what they did was they secured it in bubble wrap. And you could hear, she said, from the kitchen at the other end of the house, the bubble wrap breaking and the box being torn. When the housekeeper came around to check to see what was going on, she caught sight of something that was dark, that was bigger than the Bernice mountain dog, which was barking like crazy. Family had a huge dog. If anybody knows what a Mastiff is, the Bernice mountain dog is like that's probably in excess of 120 pounds. So this creature was bigger than the dog. But what was interesting was it somehow disappeared, just disappeared as the family came running, dashing. And then the housekeeper was terrified that something would happen to the dog. So she secured and pulled the dog away and they came and saw that part of the box had already been torn. So in that particular case, to answer your question, Chris, it didn't just come with a human. It also came with some kind of entity. Nobody knows to this day what it is. The whole family does not know what it is, but it was there in the house.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's one that's a great example of how different manifestations and how the diversity of the, the difference can uh, come from Different objects and how the effect kind of branches out and affects so many aspects of the person's lives that the object came into. Uh, and like I said, it could be, you know, so many different types of um, manifestations or even effects that, uh, that occur around that person that differ from object to object. And I find that very fascinating. Hello, can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I hear you. Oh, now. okay. Now you've a what for happens. Few minutes. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, my gosh. No. <laughs> so, so. Uh, I was asking you, uh, I was telling you about how that story you just uh, talk, talked about is a perfect example of how the manifestations can differ from object to object. And not only that, how the effects are so different from each object and it can branch yes. out into so many uh, aspects of the person's lives that the object came into uh, effect with, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I think you had another part to that question. I'm trying to recall what it was now. Um, I, I think one of the things that people wonder about is these attachments, how they originate. Mm. And for the most part, what I've seen in common so far is that an, an object is not necessarily going to be imbued with anything unless the former owner somehow has a need somehow to remain with the object. And the reason for that most times is because they had some kind of tragedy where they were somehow in love with this antique or this piece of furniture, whatever it may be. And then suddenly their lives were cut short. So usually it's a tragedy And that's what it appears to me to cause a haunting. There is some kind of a strong feeling that the person had attached to it. And, you know, I'm going to bring it up at this show, Chris. Someone had asked me that in a previous show. What is the difference between an object that's haunted versus an object that's cursed?
0: Mm, Good question.
1: And I wanted to get your take on that as well. To me, the difference of an object being haunted is like the examples that we've talked so far where the entity or the spirit is still there. And, you know, when the when the chair arrives or when the urn arrives in this case, there's that entity that is along with it. It haunts it just like a house that's haunted. The other kind where the object is cursed, it's because the person when they were still alive somehow made some kind of almost like a pact that anybody who owns the object will come into some kind of misfortune, will get sick or, I don't know, lose their job or whatever. And the example that I had mentioned was a gem, a diamond. Uh, The name escapes me now, but the royalty has it. And a lot of times they wear it on their crown. This particular diamond, from what I understand, as it was handed down from one royal to another. Somewhere along the line, there was a curse that was placed on it by a previous owner saying only women, really biased, right? Only women can wear it. Mm. If a man wears it on his crown, something bad will happen to him. Now, I don't know if it's happened in every case. I have not researched it. But in this particular case, through the years, I mean, Queen Elizabeth wears it on her crown. But Prince Philip, who had passed on since then, has not worn it.
0: Right. Well, these paranormal events that people experience whether it's through uh, haunted objects or attachments they all seem to be very uh, personal and get into a person's psyche and be able to pull out things from that person that only that person knows so it makes me wonder how connected to each individual's consciousness in this and how much does it have to do with a person's actual belief in the experience or in the phenomenon do you think Mm -hmm. that that has a factor in it
1: I think it could and and a good example of that is there's another story in the book and I'll tell you of one that isn't in the book now that it just uh, came up in my head and this one is a very recent one that was just told to me actually about a month ago. In the case of the one that's in the book, the uh, the actual story is called the lithograph. This one became very personal for the antique dealer. Who ended up getting this as a gift. Um, The sad part about this is that the gift was given to them by a best friend. It was another couple that they knew or they thought they knew very well, um, knew a lot of details about their personal lives. It was another antique dealer as well, I won't disclose where. Um, But in short, it created a personal tragedy that to this day, he, he wonders whether it is connected or not, but he can't think of any other reason. And yeah. so it yeah. became a personal odyssey, probably much more so than the other dealers for this person that was grappling with a, a lithograph. This lithograph, let me explain what a lithograph is, because I think we don't normally see that these days. Back in the day, when people had uh, drawings, murals, paintings, there was something that was called a lithograph. And basically, what you have is a picture that was made by imprinting with ink.
0: Like with a metal plate, you use or some type of plate that has the imprinting of the object on it, right?
1: Yes, yes, exactly. So in this case... There's probably like a hundred to 200 of the same lithograph. This one particular copy came to this couple as a gift. And then it ended up just spiraling. It ended up, um, with the demise of the guy's parents, they passed away suddenly and nobody knows what happened there. Um, and then the business started to go under or at least they were just breaking even, and they were very, very good and well-established. He dealt with trying to get this object out of his house, only to find out when he hung it on the wall in his antique shop, his wife called him and said, I thought you told me that this print is hanging on the wall of the antique shop. You took it out of the house. And he said, yes, I did. And as he's talking to her (laughs) on the cell phone, okay, he looks over and there it is. It's in the other room hanging on the wall. But she's looking at it at the same time, Chris. She's looking at this is now we're talking 2015, 2016, pretty recent. I'm looking at it right now, he said to her. Well, I'm looking at it too. So go figure.
0: Uh, The ones that don't have any kind of spirit manifestation or or any your typical haunting stuff, but just really tragic events or negative experiences associated with it, those are some of the most kind of disturbing ones for me.
1: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, there's one I'm trying to think now of... The story that was just told to me. This one is not in the book.
0: <laughs> oh, great, I love those.
1: <laughs> this one involves a gentleman who collects antique furniture. Uh, and the the person that told this to me actually purchased my book because now they're very curious. They've never had an experience with an antique like that, uh, and then you know someone tells them this story. And they collect antiques, as this friend did. Anyway, the friend purchased a four-poster bed. And as he was cleaning it, getting it prepared, it gets delivered. He starts making it. It was part of a guest room, from what I understand. And it was in a separate house, like a guest house that was right there, just a few yards away from his own home. He walks over to it, checks it out, changes, you know, the different things around it to make it a very comfortable bedroom. He turns around and feels someone looking intently at him as he's walking away. He turns around. It's one of those things. He turns around and there's no one there. He leaves the room. Meanwhile, he's preparing for a couple of guests to actually stay in that guest house. So the next morning, as he airs out the room to prepare it for guests, he notices the bed's unmade again. And he had made the bed the night before to prepare it for guests to move. So he makes the bed again and and so on and so on. Finally, one night, he makes a mistake of going in there later in the evening just to make sure everything was fine. He was talking to his family. Someone's playing tricks on me. I come back and the bed is unmade. Our guest is coming this weekend. I'm not going to have any of this. Everybody's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Nobody's touched it. Why would we go there? Why would we do that to you? He goes in there, and in the act of making the bed later that night, because they were coming in the morning, a woman was standing right over it, looking down.
0: Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? ha! in my dentist's office
1: And whatever it was, you could tell something tragic had happened to her. Something that was uncanny had happened to her.
0: That's incredible. So
1: I think a lot of times these hauntings happen because the person's life somehow ended tragically. Hmm. And emotionally, they were not ready to let go of all those you know, trappings of life, the things they owned, the things they possessed and loved.
0: Now, for the stories in your book, how did you uh, seek out the individuals for the stories? Did you know, hear about their stories beforehand, or did you do research to find out about them?
1: I did hear about them beforehand. I just wasn't quite sure, because at the time um, when I heard some of them, and you know, the very first one was mine, I didn't know what to do with them, because I was very interested in UFOs, or UAPs as you call them now. So I didn't I like really, UFOs better. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I I didn't really dwell on them per se until I started writing my first book, Portal. And then I thought, is this suitable? Is this not suitable? Should I wait until a later time? I already had about three stories. Two of them made it to the book. The third one did not because I couldn't get permission. And then as the years went by, I started going back, driving back to these different antique stores to get different things. And I said, hey, I'm just curious. Did you ever encounter something that you couldn't deal with? Something, not a customer, but one of your inanimate treasured objects that somehow created. And that's when I got the story about the one in Vermont. Uh, The woman has retired overseas at this point. Uh, she wrote to me and she actually told me, you know, I'm, I'm going to, if I don't see you for some reason, I'm going to write everything out. And then at some point, when you get a chance, call me if you have any questions. So that's what we did. Um, one story actually came from a classmate and his father owned the antique store. Um, that story is the one in Rhode Island. So he actually has an interesting life in the sense that his parents had this haunted object. He ended up helping to transport the object. Sadly enough, he volunteered to transport this object, not realizing what he was going to be dealing with uh, in the three-hour span of time that he was driving to take it back to its new owner.
0: Right.
1: Um, but he also lived in a haunted house. He ended up renting a haunted house.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, Now, were there any other stories that didn't quite make it to the book, like the the one you told us earlier, that maybe you might Mm -hmm. put in another one, or maybe not at all, just keep them for yourself?
1: (laughs) I I think it depends. If I can get permission from people to actually tell it in detail— and get permission you know, to, to know where it is and things of that nature, I might be able to. There are some stories that came my way that probably were not as visually stunning, I guess is the word that I would use. Uh, there are some that are armoires, um, wardrobes, dressers. Uh, there's one that I know of, uh, it concerns a dresser that was in an antique store and people didn't know what the contents were, and then they started having some interesting scents. You know, hauntings are not just apparitions; they're not just visual; they could be in the form of a certain smell that comes with it. Um I remember there was one uh where she would smell something, and she remembered her father, because he smoked and he could smell the kind of cigars that he smoked. This particular dresser was owned by a gentleman who smoked a pipe. And every time you approached and you figure, Hey, you know, probably because the smoke is still connected, you know, like lingering, right? When you're smoking a cigarette, the whole room smells of it. Well, we're talking 200 years. So that's a long time for smoke. To linger. In this case, it was haunted by a gentleman. Uh, They would see him walking around the store. And they always thought there was a customer until one day they saw him and it was after hours and they were already closed for a while. They were just doing the books, balancing the register and things of that nature. So the woman walks over and the gentleman just simply effervesces, just simply disappears. Mm. So they started wondering because it seemed like it was hovering in the vicinity of it. And one day her husband just opened all the dresser drawers to clean it up because somebody was interested in looking at it. And lo and behold, in the very bottom, there was money. There was a lot of money on the very bottom drawer so whoever was the owner probably wanted someone to know hey look there's something i left in here you know it wasn't anything malevolent it was just unfinished business in this case chris it was just a matter of saying hey look i just want to let you know i left something in there that you might find interesting
0: Yeah. Do you do you find um, many cases that aren't quite malevolent that may be trying to, you know, help people out?
1: I'm trying to think if there was one. You know, it's interesting that you say that because it's it's a different kind of a thing when you have I mentioned cursed objects earlier in the show. Mm. And the only thing that comes to mind right now are relics. And when I say relics, they're pieces of like a robe of maybe one of the apostles or the Shroud of Turin comes to mind. And this is something that's considered a venerated sacred object. Mm -hmm. People have been known to talk about having approached a relic of someone who's Venerated or blessed, and being spontaneously healed. So, helped in that manner. So, I think of cursed objects as being like the extreme negative, and then I think of relics as being on the extreme positive side. So, right. if, if that's what you mean, does that answer yeah, your question? Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. yeah, definitely. Now, uh, yeah. most people who are having negative experiences with uh, haunted objects or attachments, they simply get rid of the object. Uh, you know, some people may destroy it. What would you suggest for someone who's having a negative experience and they believe that you know, an ob- the, its a, indeed coming from a certain object.
1: Okay, well, th- that's a very, very tricky question, Chris, because there are several different ways to get rid of objects and i am by no means an expert on that because i'll tell you right now i'm i'm basically someone who collects stories collects accounts and put them on print um but depending on who you approach probably will depend on what kind of approach they would take now i know that with there's also something called haunted people You've heard of haunted houses, haunted objects, and then you've heard of haunted people.
0: Yeah.
1: When it comes to, I'll start with that one, I should say. When it comes to haunted people, which to me is probably the most severe, my understanding is that it starts with some kind of an infestation. Something is following the person or persons, regardless of where they live, it goes with them. So even if they were like living in one place and they decide, I'm going to move out of here to get away from whatever is happening to me, it then follows them into the new home. And there's exorcists out there. Um, Actually, a lot of paranormal people who run paranormal investigative teams, a lot of times are hooked up with clergy. And they don't necessarily have to be Roman Catholic. They could be, you know, some pastor, could be someone who's born again Christian, comes to mind another co-author who is an exorcist. Um, And what they do is they have a religious right. and religion turns to be a turnoff, but there is a certain circumscribed right that people use in order to remove a haunting... From either a person or a house. Is it easy? No, I don't think so. Um, a lot of times when you're looking at a haunted person, there's something about the person that attracted whatever it is to attach themselves. Uh, a lot of times if it's a teenager, it's because they they tend to be more sensitive or they could be playing with an Ouija board. They could be doing a lot of things with the occult that tends to open up a portal uh, and then create havoc, not just with the kid or with the adult, but with the entire family. Um, A house, if you get a house blessed in a traditional Roman Catholic way, what happens is it gets worse before it gets better. If anything, it dredges up a lot of things that are sleeping, so to speak, in there. With an object, I wouldn't throw it away. <laughs> um, in one of the objects in the book, what they had to do was encase it behind glass. Mm. And that was the only way they could contain it. And it brings up to me what the Warren Foundation um, has done. They, they train exorcists. Um, Chris Warren is a wonderful person. He lived in a house um, for a time. Uh, with his grandparents and it has a museum and I don't know if you're familiar with the Warren Museum in Monroe. People take tours of that place and and there's a lot of objects in there um, that are severely haunted. Some are demonic. I won't mention which ones they are but they are blessed and they are under lock and key and I have to tell the audience you know I'm I recently found out uh, on eBay, people are actually selling haunted dolls and haunted objects. I didn't know how you felt about that, Chris.
0: Uh, I would... wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> no, you can count me out <laughs> of that one.
1: No. So I, what I have to say is is really to caution where your interests lie. and And this is just something I want to suggest to people, that when they're looking at stuff on eBay – and they're interested in acquiring something and it says haunted on it (laughs) Uh, we don't really know Uh, probably nine times out of ten it really isn't haunted but why be fascinated in getting something that could could be well, I've seen um, the
0: ones where they're getting, like, demon boxes or something where they're supposed to have a demonic entity trapped in these things. And, you know, yeah, supposedly yeah. they open them and then their life goes to hell. So I don't know. But I, count me out of that. I wouldn't uh, get involved.
1: Well, well, see, here's the thing. You, I don't know if you remember a movie, and I don't think it's it's out now, but several years ago I recall a movie called The Dibok Box
0: yeah, I, yeah I've, I haven't seen the movie but I've heard people online talking about those things and I've seen videos I don't know if they're fake or not but yeah I've heard of that
1: yeah and I recall if if my memory serves me right it was bought at a flea market mm. and it was eight box box but then you know just like a Pandora's box when it got open there was all kinds of malicious stuff in there and there was a, I think there was a demon in there. So it's kind of like a genie opening up a Pandora's box type of thing. And, you know, people need to think twice if they're really looking to own a haunted object. It's not that easy to get rid of it. And for some reason, people are selling it online. And, and you never know. If it if it is, I think people probably trying to get rid of it. I mean, why would you sell it? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. A- and and the bad part about this is that it might not end there. Even when you succeed in trying to get rid of it, whatever is with it might actually stay with you, and it could stay for years and years and years. I mean, that's just my opinion, anyway.
0: Well, no, I've heard this from plenty of paranormal researchers and experts in the field that, you know, spiritual attachments that attach themselves to people are, you know, very common as as well as attached to objects but can also be uh, gone unnoticed for, for a very long time with that person. They just may have negative effects happening in their lives. Uh, okay. So that's, uh, you know, that's a very interesting aspect of it as well. Now, I want to know, uh, since you used to work with uh, ufology and move on, and you know, also with the paranormal. Has your understanding of these fields changed as uh, the, the further you move along and working with different things? And do you see any crossovers um, in paranormal and ufology and the afterlife and the spirit realm and aliens? Uh, do you see these things kind of have strange parallels at times?
1: I do. I do. I have not witnessed them in the first person, but I have heard so many stories from people. Uh, One comes to mind, and I think I just recently discussed it for some reason somewhere, the the Bigfoot, the Sasquatch.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: People talk about seeing it in conjunction with UAPs. There's one school that talks, and I'm not an expert on Bigfoot. I actually only have one story to tell you about Bigfoot. So I, I don't feel qualified to even really. It's one more
0: story than I have, so great.
1: One... <laughs> well, this one, I think, was flesh and blood. If it is, Bigfoot. Um, the, the story goes the woman was living by herself. Her two sons were grown and gone. She ended up renting a house in central Pennsylvania. The story came to me by way of a college, a former college roommate uh, who was working in Williamsport at the time. Uh, She had moved to central PA. She was sent over there by her company and she met this woman, you know, places at a restaurant. The woman was really looking for friends because she was new to the area, but then she was also thinking about letting go of the rental home she was in. And she said, why not? You just got here. And she said, well, let me tell you the creepiest story. And I'm really afraid to go home right now because I still have a few more months on this lease, but I can't wait until the lease is over because I am getting out of here. <laughs> so she tells a story about, and the house that she's in as a rancher, Behind her are woods. And, you know, central PA is really a lot of forests and woods. One side of it is a field. Across the street from her is more forest, but in a clearing, there's a farm. And it's a farmer and his wife, and then they have all kinds of cattle and livestock and things of that nature. It's pretty much a farmette. But anyway, not to digress so far. She was, uh, she brought home a corn, a husk, a coconut husk, pardon me. She works in a supermarket. She went outside one afternoon after she came home from work. She took an ax ax, and broke the husk in half. And, you know, the coconut sport came out, the coconut whatever came out, and she brought it in. And as she was doing that, you already know where we're headed with this. There's food outside. The next thing you know, she feels like there was something walking across the field right across the street as she looked out the living room window. She had her feet up. She was eating. She was watching TV. She looks out and there's something crossing the field, going towards, I guess, the shed of the farmer. And she thought, I didn't know we had bears. So she's terrified because there's a bear. So she figured she would knock on their door at some point. And let them know she was the new neighbor and that they had bears on the property. Next day, she visits the farmer, tells him what she saw. And she said, it was walking over to your shed, which I think had your animals in it. And the farmer looked at her and he said to her, how was it walking? And she said, well, it was walking just like a person, you know, these bears. And the farmer said, bears don't walk on their hind feet. They... They amble. They don't stand up and walk. What you saw was something else. Mm. But then move a few weeks later, she's popping popcorn. And guess who's at her back door? The bear across the street. But it was not a bear, Chris. Right. So, (laughs) but anyway, this one did not have any other things going along with it, but I've heard stories where they've seen what they think is a Bigfoot, and then they also see UAPs up in the sky.
0: Yeah, and I've I've had um, brilliant researchers um, that have speculated that maybe some paranormal or even hauntings may be more associated with uh, interdimensional or extraterrestrial phenomena than we think, uh, that Mm -hmm. maybe these entities are, you know, just unseen or in a different uh, spectrum of our vision that we can't see. And they're always around us and maybe not necessarily ghosts or spirits of humans, but just different Mm -hmm. types of entities that exist all around us at all times, but just in different densities or dimensions. Uh, What do you think about that?
1: I believe that. I believe that we're in dimension three. Okay. The third dimension. Somewhere along the line, I stumbled on a really very well written book by Dolores Cannon, whom you know, passed away several years ago. She wrote quite a bit under her own publishing house. um, And I was really enmeshed in it. I ended up reading most of what she wrote. It was pretty extensive, and it talked about 20 dimensions of which ours is only like one of the lowest ones. The first and the second dimensions are usually where the animals are. You know, some of them don't even see in color. Above the third dimension, there are creatures that don't necessarily have a body or are able to change molecularly into a body structure and then switch out of it. And I think that's why we see the things we do like Bigfoot. They can be flesh and blood one minute and then the next minute be in a much higher portal uh, so that we could be unwittingly walking through them uh, or they could be walking through us. I don't know. Are they the same dimensions as people who have passed on, you know, ghosts and things of that nature? There might be an overlap, I don't know. But the only thing I know from what I've read of her books is that the higher the dimension, the more positive the creatures are, the more positive the vibration. I don't know why we're in the density that we're in, but apparently some of these things have no bodies whatsoever. Um, And you've heard of reptilians. Yes. I don't know how to classify reptilians. I know they've been talked about as being malevolent, that they perhaps are under the earth which causes me to believe that they probably do have real bodies and are probably also finite in nature and that they're mortal like us. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. I, I you know, it, they puzzle me completely. Um, there was a show I was on um, and to this day, I still don't want to even talk about what I had seen when I was out in California. But Chris, since, we have time i'm going to tell you and i'm the first this is the first show i will actually disclose this oh wow so if since you're seated (laughs) grab a seat so yeah um i i told this to one person um and it was to include in his book because this person i respect highly he's written a series of books. I wanted him to have a story um, and you'll probably recognize it. If you pick up one of his future books, back in the mid eighties, I had an uncle who lived out in Walnut, California with his wife. Uh, He's passed on since then, but I used to visit almost every summer. This is before I went traveling, you know, overseas. And in one of the visits, we decided we would go to San Diego. Well, when you're in Southern California, San Diego feels like forever driving, I would say about maybe four hours on the interstate. Uh, And most of the time, the summer, it gets very hot, very dry. So we made some stops along the way. In one of those stops, it entailed getting some gas and getting some snacks, getting something to drink. At the time, he was driving a van. I happened to be the passenger in the back, uh, and his wife was looking to get some refreshments. So he went to get gas. I came out of the van and stood to the side looking out at the desert. Now, I, mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the Death Valley area of California.
0: Haven't been there, but I know of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so this was around the Death Valley area of California, which can get very, very hot. Um, she was inside the store, and I'm trying to remember now what the store was, because it was attached to a huge gas station. And as I was standing by one of the gas bays, I was looking out towards the desert, another vehicle pulled up into the next gas bay. And it was a huge, I would say it's like a huge GMC truck, GMC SUV. And being that Southern California usually is attached to entertainment and Hollywood, filmmaking and things of that nature, I didn't think much of what I saw. There was a gentleman that came out, if you could call him a gentleman, coming out of the driver's side. He stood, he came out of the car and was standing looking out with his view of his head away from me, almost like looking at the same view I did. But then his passenger came out and started pumping gas. And this is when it gets interesting. He approached one of the pumps which then was facing me and we made eye contact. And I tell you, I have never felt this way. I sensed a lot of malevolence, menace, and I sensed that I wasn't supposed to see them. When I initially saw them, I thought a bunch of guys in costume, they're probably getting ready to shoot a film. And I kid you not, Chris. They were probably about seven feet tall. From head to toe, they had scales. Scales. The the complexion of one of them, they had no hair. They had what looked like something that was growing from the top of their head. And they looked very sharp. The whole head had scales. There were no ears. And then from the neck down, it was covered in some type of um, almost like a plasticine covering. Like a, 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 a rubber armor of some type. They had boots on. And the one that was like almost facing me, pumping the gas, looked up. And the eyes were like cobra eyes. Wow. And that was the creepiest feeling that I got. It was just real malevolence. I had to turn. I, I was stunned at first. I was rooted to the spot. But I, my first instinct was, I got to get inside the car. So I finally broke contact, eye contact. I turned around i went back to the passenger side door in the back shut the door and i looked away and i was completely baffled
0: <laughs> wow now did you get the sense that these things um were you know intent on harming you or anyway? um and you know how did they how did they manifest did they just kind of walk up to you or anything
1: they did not walk up to me thank goodness because I I don't know what I would have done um I really felt like I wasn't supposed to see them number one and that number two it was almost like they were trying to get in my head to threaten me so I could not even say anything to my uncle or my aunt until we had probably gone into the city limits of San Diego before I finally told them what I saw I was really concerned she would try and look, that, you know, she had binoculars and things out of curiosity. I just wanted to be out of there. So I did not engage him. I turned away. And the only thing I remember saying to my uncle was, let's try and leave now.
0: <laughs> wow. Now you said they were about like seven foot tallish. And did they have uh, kind of an elongated snout, like typical reptilian descriptions?
1: The eyes were the ones that drew me and then the scales drew me. I didn't notice that there was a nose. I know there were no ears. They were wearing some kind of black rubber outfit that seemed like it was only one whole thing. And then the other one that was reaching for the gas pump, I didn't see the hand that was reaching because it was not in my view, but one hand was gloved.
0: That is very and, interesting. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, and it was like a dark green. Wow. So if you want to say reptilian, that was the only thing that came to mind. It was definitely reptilian. Was it multi-dimensional? I don't know. It looked very solid to me. It, you know, we we didn't wait. I didn't wait. I didn't, never looked back again. We mm-hmm. drove out of there, and then that was it.
0: the The crossover is fascinating to me. Uh, what are your thoughts on? the the mainstream uh, interpretation on not only paranormal, but what's happening now with ufology. They've had what you know some people consider like a soft disclosure coming from our government and media uh, and military, but I, I see it quite differently, and I also see that they're really ignoring the, the paranormal aspects of everything, and paranormal activity in general is still considered very woo-woo for mm-hmm. that mainstream community, but uh, that makes me think because they're not looking at that aspect and because they're not talking about that that that's probably one of the most important kind of connections that's being missed and they don't seem to want us to to look in that direction at least from what i see Mm -hmm.
1: well all these things are done intentionally and i think that when it comes to the government there's a lot of things there's no transparency with government um I, i think there's a great deception I think that what they're trying to do is maybe palliate some people because they know that there's a growing concern and more and more people are opening their minds to it. So they then mandate NASA to do, you know, what they normally do is to look at these UAPs and, you know, make kind of like some kind of dismissive or postulate some kind of theory about what they are. To just let people know, the public know, oh, no, heavens, we're not really ignoring them. Here we are. We've got a branch dedicated to it. You know, we've got a, you know, an office in the Pentagon now that's going to be investigating because they want to calm people down to let them know we're aware of it. We've got it under control. And that's what government normally does government likes to do propaganda. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to bash the government, but, but you know, I'll, I'll say what I feel. I, I, I think don't that, got a
0: problem with it.
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, propaganda is number one on the government list.
0: All right. And then
1: right. people start, you know, yelling and screaming about how come you're not talking about this? You know, you must have something to hide. They figure, yeah, we do have something to hide, but we'll give you something to think about.
0: Yeah, I But think you not know. all of it. Exactly. I think you're spot on with that. We live in very interesting times, nonetheless. And, you know, I'm glad to see that, you know, people like yourself are putting out great material about the paranormal. And we do have independent researchers looking into it. So we are entering, I think, very important uh, times for for these studies. Uh, Now, this was fantastic. Before you head out, let everyone know where they can find your books, if you have a website, social media, and if you got anything else coming out.
1: Soon. Okay. So primarily, all my three books can be found on Amazon. Uh, it's an ebook format, which you can get on Kindle, but it's also on paperback for those that would rather have something concrete in their hands. I do have a website that's under construction. It's called storyartisan.wordpress.com. Um, I'm transitioning into a different website in the next couple of months. I'm hoping that will be up to include my third book. Uh, So my first book is called Portal, A Lifetime of Paranormal Experiences. Uh, That also has been my go-to book because the stories are short. I have a storytelling podcast called Sinister Archives. So I I don't guest people like you do because I think that's really challenging to do. Um, All I do is I go in for about maybe 14, 20 minutes and I actually read a story from my book uh portal a lifetime of paranormal experiences which is kind of like an amalgamation of paranormal uh you know supernatural stuff as well as my days as a ufo investigator Uh, the second one is a supernatural memoir it's called the way through the woods and it's about a real person who i met uh all places at a luncheon um So that one is a riveting read in the sense that you never expect what you expect when you go through the Bavarian forests uh, until you actually encounter them. So it's very supernatural. uh, And I'm proud to say the woman is 92 years old. She just turned last month. Um, Story began when she was about three years old. And then the third one is the one we discussed Um, and, um, you know, I'm happy to share that. That is also shortly going to be on my website. I can also be found on Facebook. If anybody wants to contribute a story, that's probably the fastest way to get me. It's under my name.
0: That's wonderful. Well, Anna, thank you so much. This was fantastic. And I would definitely love to talk with you more in the future.
1: Okay, perfect.
0: Excellent. Well, until next time, everyone have an excellent evening. We will talk again tomorrow. We'll see you then.